Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It is Wednesday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Hey guys, how you doing? And of course, Dave O'Brien. It's a go! One of you sounds happier than the other there. Uh, Lawrence, you sound a bit upset, mate. What's wrong? Oh, no, mate, I'm all right. Oh, you're all right. It's okay. Uh, yeah, Let's I go. actually feel okay. However, tonight I went to the Echo Arena in Liverpool, which is like the big stadium in the city. Yes, you were there. 10,000 people. To go and watch Liverpool in the Europa League final started so well. Yes. Um, and Liverpool, but not necessarily because Liverpool were playing great, just because Sevilla weren't really doing it particularly good. And then Sturridge oh. popped up at the moment of brilliance. Um, and ultimately in the second, you know, it, you know, you can trot out cliches and stuff, but it was a game of two halves. It Sevilla was a game of two halves. First it six. did. It, it ended, of course, 3-1 to Sevilla uh, on the night of winning the Europa the UEFA Europa League for a third time in a row, absolutely sensational. But of course, you point out there, Lawrence, Liverpool were on top in that first half, all over Sevilla. They created eight chances, Sevilla created zero. And in the yep. second half, from that kickoff, was it 15, 16 seconds in, Sevilla won all up and the game completely changed? I think it was exactly 17 seconds, wasn't it? Um, Incredible. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the, basically Liverpool hit for six. And, uh, you know, what was interesting was that in that time, there were so many handball shouts and sort of things. But I was sort of thinking, you know what, Liverpool, uh, you know, they can let that go. Let that go. Don't play that way in the final. Um, don't worry about handballs, those kind of things. And you can sort of say that when it's going for you. But then in the second half, you sort of look back and think, God, I wish that maybe one of those had been called or, you know, one of the bad calls had gone Liverpool's way. Um, and ultimately, you know, I know within a game you can't really complain about those kind of things. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, basically James Milner said it post-match and I thought he was kind of right. Um, you know, Liverpool will be disappointed because they won't feel like they showed their best in the final. Um, and I think that's what's disappointed the most. I think, you know, I was saying to Glenn, the, the guy that I'm filming with for TFR, he said to me, how would you feel if you paid a grand to get into that um, stadium tonight? Would you really be happy with that and probably not but there's a couple of good there's uh, the, the difference for Liverpool there's two finals in a season where they didn't expect to make it to a final like that and not only that but you know Jurgen Klopp um, and the, the positivity of that I think are two things that Liverpool take away really 
Of course. Um, doubly disappointing, Dave, as Lawrence points out there, because they were 1-0 up and it looked like Sevilla were going to be the team who unraveled, really. Uh, they didn't look like the, the team who had never lost a Europa League tie under Unai Emery. But of course, in that second half, it all turned on its head. I mean, where, where did it go wrong for Liverpool? Where, where did they lose grip of this game? Well, uh, no, Dave, Dave, before you start, uh, I'm pretty sure you nailed it, by the way, on TF3's uh, preview, which is live on the YouTube channel still. You can go and see. Because Dave pretty much nailed it pre-match, uh, the same as he did post-match. I think that it, it's Liverpool did dominate in that first half. They were all over Sevilla. It was, they were battering them, absolutely battering them. And if, if Liverpool had taken one of those chances that they presented to themselves in the first half, the game was over. But... Like you said, the, the coach deserves the credit. Unai Emery, what, 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 what did he say to them at half time? You know, it was such a difference. Sevilla was so on the, they were so on the back foot in the first half. They were so defensive. They were, they weren't playing the natural game. They weren't looking for Kevin Gramero long, and it completely changed. The first goal goes in. Vitolo starts getting on the ball, and Mariano, I know a player that I probably mentioned in the preview that he's very hot and cold. But if you get him on the ball in the right side of the pitch, he'll make something happen. You know, challenge him defensively. Liverpool should have been caning him all, the whole half. They should have been targeting Mariano on that left-hand side. Coutinho, get him 1v1. That's what yeah, Liverpool Coutinho should have been looking at. And not only that, and, yeah, yeah, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Video. There was a line said by, I think it was Darren Fletcher, who's a commentator, and he sort of said, you know, um, it, it, you know the severe coach will go in at half-time and he'll obviously say to his players, you know, you guys need to step it up. But not only that, it'll probably refocus them. And he'll probably focus them on another aspect of the game. And you know what? I think he focused them on all the right aspects of the game, the right areas to attack. And he basically noted down what Liverpool were doing. Not only that, but I think he said they they trained for the, the, the idea that, um, you know, he, uh, Moreno was going to play at left back. And they instantly targeted that in the second half. And I was really impressed with that aspect that basically, you know, what looked like a training ground move from kickoff was uh, perfectly executed. What did you make of Moreno, Lawrence? Because he took a lot of abuse on social media, not least yeah, from Jamie Carragher, yeah. who tweeted mm. out and hastily deleted, Jürgen Transfer Committee, anyone, sign a fucking left-back. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. But at the same time, I don't feel like Moreno had such an awful night. Like, and, and I know that one mistake kind of can define you at that level. And I agree, he's not... He's not you not maybe what Liverpool need, but at the same time, I don't feel that he deserves the vitriol that a lot of people are sort of yeah, pointing he's, to. He's not. He, he can't. He's not the only entire you know defeat upon it's, his shoulders. Yeah, there's so many cliches you can trot out after a final, and another one is uh, this: this final did not change on just one moment. Oh, um, I mean, <laughs> Dave, <laughs> that is a big cliche. <laughs> I mean, Lawrence points to there the fact that. Yes, it's disheartening for Liverpool but and, and to not obviously qualify for the Champions League, but things are still looking up. OK, yes, they didn't particularly give a good account of themselves, but it's a positive note almost for Liverpool to reach those two finals this season, uh, to finish where they did in the league. It's all set up for next season uh, to be much improved. Yeah, I think 100% Ogo Moreno did take a lot of criticism. Four out of his four tackles in his own half, he, he didn't win, which is a bit of a criticism for a left-back. You've got to win those tackles, but... What this does for Liverpool is it really gears them up in a way they could be favourites for the Premier League because they've not got any what? European Still football. Still let me let me finish. Let me finish. They're so, nine to one for next season. But what Liverpool have is a manager that's had half a season in the Premier League and done very very well. That's interesting. Manager that's adaptable that hasn't had a win 
you know, in the transfer market that has evaluated all of his players and knows what his weaknesses are a la the left back. You know, a bit of a criticism. Jamie Carragher potentially shouldn't have been throwing all the blame on the left back. A bit unfair, you know. There were other players in that team that didn't show up tonight, like we mentioned before, Coutinho, Firmino, Anonymous. You know, Daniel Sturridge was brilliant, I thought. Absolutely brilliant. But what Liverpool have next season is they, they, they have, they have uh, you know, a week off before most games. And we saw under Brendan Rodgers that Liverpool did very, very well in that situation where the same sort of players that are still in the squad, give them a week, give them a week of tactical you know, analysis and, and then ways to set up to certain sides did very well. So, I, you know, with a season with Conte coming in, uh, Guardiola coming in, Mourinho potentially coming in, uh, Wenger still being there, Liverpool have a, a very, very good chance of winning the Premier League just because they've not got European football. Mm, fantastic strike, by the way, tonight from oh, uh, Sturridge. A great so moment good. of quality. I do think that's part of the problem is actually, you know, Liverpool were living on a wing and a prayer in the Europa League for, what, four games in a row? Um, and yeah, I understand you need some of that to get to the final, but at the same time, great run. And I think Liverpool will take away some great memories from this season. Herr Solomon, the main man, writes in, uh, now that the Europa League is gone, was Klopp's first season at Anfield a success or failure? Surely a a success, Lawrence. It'd be harsh to say that was a failure. Yeah, I know. I feel the same. Yeah. I Um, I don't feel like it's a failure, although losing two finals. Um, Pierre Tagala also writing in, he said, what sort of players will Liverpool now be able to attract considering the result of this final? Is Gertz you know off what? the table? Yeah. No, I don't think it is. No. Uh, I think, no. think Gertz has probably got... It's like Klopp has said, basically. Uh, he doesn't want players that only want or are only focused on Champions League football yeah. in the short term. Uh, you know, he wants players who are committed to the club, etc. And I know that's probably putting a shine on things because that's what Jurgen Klopp does very well. Um but yeah, I, I, you know, I think he's probably got the targets and those targets probably know that Liverpool are interested. I think they'll probably have watched what Liverpool did tonight and feel 50%, you know, that's very disappointing. Can Klopp lead us anywhere considering his record in finals? But also look what that potential that side has and look at the great players they have, you know, Chan, Coutinho, Firmino, Sturridge, um, I think uh, Chan probably needs a better midfield partner than Milner. That's not to put Milner down. Lovren at the back. Mignolet uh, probably on his way out. There's a lot to be positive about there. You know what? I don't think Klein is, uh, had such a terrible game either. We... Well, I, think, I think the interesting thing with that is that what Liverpool missed in the final, in the second half especially, is an option on the counter-attack. And that is what Mario Goetze did at Borussia Dortmund. It was an option. They'd play the ball to Mario Goetze and then they'd break. And that was the beauty of Mario Goethe, that he drifted into wide areas, he picked the ball up, and he's got that like close control that, mm. that it's not. It's very rare in European football. You'd say it's 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 likened to Lionel Messi, where he's got such great close control and he can create situations out of nothing. And it's something Liverpool needed. When Sevilla got the heads up, Liverpool didn't have anything on the counter attack. Daniel Sturridge was coming deeper. You don't want you want Daniel Sturridge further up the pitch. There was no one coming to the ball and then creating something. I agree with what Lawrence said there. James Milner potentially isn't the right. Uh, you know, partner for uh, Emre Chan. Emre Chan is a very, very good player, mm. but I feel he needs someone next to him to dictate. And he can be the ball winner. He can be the aggressive player. Someone like uh, you know Grunduan would sit next to Emre Chan, and that is a that is a very, very good midfield. So there's a lot of potential in this Liverpool side. Again, what I said before, there's a if they sign the right players, there's going to be a big, big title push, and that is big for Liverpool. You know, not won the won the league since the Premier League was formed. That is big. That is bigger than the European Cup in a way. 
How... And that's good for Liverpool fans, and that's something that Liverpool fans can evolve to and, and get behind. Mm. How about a word on Sevilla, Dave? Because, I mean, four Europa League finals they've played in now. Um, they've won all four in their history, and it's three in a row, which is an incredible achievement. I mean, we had a lot of people writing into uh, TFR Live tonight, and they were sort of downplaying this achievement, sort of saying, ah, Europa League's a second-string competition, which is found ridiculous. Like, to win three of these in a row is sensational. I just I don't find it Weird. I think that's a, it's, a, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy that you, we are downgrading this tournament, the tournament that gets you into the Champions League. How much and how much resource is spent getting to the top four positions in in the Premier League is insane. Yet we we throw the Europa League to the side because we're stupid, and inherently that's what it is. Inherently, yeah, we, we are we are thick, and we we think again. Going back to Lawrence's classic point. Capitalist pigs that don't understand the fucking beauty of European football, don't understand the beauty of a, of a UEFA Cup. And I, I tweeted it. I tweeted it just after the game that this was the first time that a, a team's won three uh, Europa leagues in a row slash UEFA Cups. That's incorrect. Apparently, a Juventus side did that as well. That is incredible. Well, no matter what European tournament you win, if you win it three years in a row, you are an absolute brilliant side. But what it, what's so interesting about Sevilla? You know, there's a great Guardian article this week about the director of football there that signed signed players for I think it was like 22 million and won the Europa League and then they, they, that squad went out for 160 million incredible at Sevilla are a model for a, a mid-table side that may not have the biggest stadium may not have the biggest fan base but they're doing an excellent job you know players like Krajovac that is one of the best box-to-box midfielders in European football Kevin Gramero why he's not going to the Euros of France Insane. In a way, I want France not to win the Euros now because, Just because Kevin Romero's not in there. Lacazette's not in there. What, what, what are you doing? What two, is the, two of the best finishes in world. Insane. But anyway, mm. I'm moving away from the point, but I think that the Europa League needs to be respected. We don't yes. respect it enough. Manchester United don't respect it, and that pisses me off. Manchester United don't respect Louis van Gaal. They boo him when he's doing his speech. Fuck off. Sorry. Good I, like I like the passion. Everyone can just um, fuck off, can't they? <laughs> this game, sorry, Dad. Uh, this game specifically, though, Dave. Of course, sorry, uh, sorry, sort of, sorry, Mum. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, as, Grandma. As, sorry, uh, sorry. Grandma doesn't Lawrence, listen. She didn't give a fuck. As Lawrence said, there was a it was a training ground move for that first goal, and of course, Liverpool pushing forward. Sevilla were absolutely ruthless on the counter after that. Probably could have had a few more, but they punished Liverpool. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think um, it, uh, Liverpool were slightly naive, in, or at least they looked naive in the second half. Mm. Um, uh, very disappointed uh, that Liverpool played it in the way they did. Um, it, basically, I think I think I saw it. You know, I just want you to praise Sevilla, Lance. That's what I want. I want you to, to praise oh, yeah, the totally. opposition. You know, what, you know what else I also thought was uh, Sevilla were fantastic in the sense that, you know, we obviously are defining them in England by that performance. Mm. They've been pretty good in other performances as well this season, not only in Europa League, but I think they've beaten some pretty big sides as well, haven't they? Um, so... You know, it's, it's not like they're just a one-off hit. You know, you know, it's very, well, very easy. Three in a row. They of course have I'm also saying over the longevity of the season as well. Yes. And they it's not only that. won an away game about, all season, which was giving me hope that Liverpool were going to pull something off here. You know? But you know, um, but you know what? It, it's they won a UA, an away game in the Europa League. Though. That was just La Liga. They yeah, don't like travelling in Spain, but outside Spain, they're <laughs> happy yeah. as Larry. You know what, uh, Lawrence? You know what the point is, though, with them as well? Um, they've they've also changed their squad so dramatically, like you say, Dave. And uh, learning to cope in that way, I think, it, 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 there's there's something really fantastic about that because, you know, a lot of the criticism of the Liverpool are, they, you know, they don't make the most of their players, etc. They need to make more of them. Uh, Incredible. You go for a... Sorry, sorry just to jump in. Just go from Carlos Baca, who was 
the best for one of the best forwards in European football last season to Kevin Gramero. Respect what we've got in the past for uh, Frederick Canute to Luis Fabiano. There's so many good strikers there. But then again, you've got to think about it's the system then, right? Ava Benega, a player that's on a free transfer and this season, it's just unbelievable. Whoever snaps up Benega has got one of uh, you know the best sort of ball playing central midfielders in world football. Incredible. Uh, the stat is that. Uh, following this win, and of course with the Champions League final coming up with two Spanish teams competing, that means the Spanish teams have won all European Cups for three years in a row, which is pretty, uh, pretty damning assessment of pretty much every other European league uh, on the But you know what? Vault. This bloody Europa League run won't have done England's coefficient any worse, Ooh. so that's good. That's, that's the plus. That's the plus we can take from this. Um, Got to give a special mention. Uh, to the main man, Varan, Joshi. No, wait. Kushal. No, no, the guy. Uh, no, the, who? Yes, the now, guy who put. Yeah, this is good. Yes, I put out the shout uh, a few days ago. I wanted someone to set us up a subreddit on the front of the free because I thought, you know, this is a great place to build a community. We can sort of, you know, get the questions in, have all sorts of discussions going on. One man stepped up, and that was Varun Kushal. Thank you very much, Varun. Um, he has set up the subreddit, so get over there, reddit.com forward slash the front three. He's Are there already up. people on it? Or well, it's mainly me and Varun at the moment, but uh, we're having a great Good. time so far. Uh, Adam, um, mate, I'm involved as well. I'm oh, there. Dave I'm Talks there. is there. Dave Talks, is, he's got himself as an admin on there as Sounds well. Sounds like um, a party I want to go to. So, guys, get in there, because uh, I think it's going to be fantastic. But for now, Varun has asked, at what point do we... St- on Reddit, I should add. Uh, at what point do we start expecting more from Sevilla, Dave? It's a great accomplishment to win the Europa Free on the trot, but should we now expect them to compete more in the Champions League? Good point. It's a good, very, very good question. But again, I go sort of go back to what I was saying before: how they've because they've such a turnover of their good players that get sold because they're a, they're a club. They've got to make money again. Going back to the small stadium, small fan base. Europa League is kind of their level. They played in the Champions League this season. They were in Juventus, Manchester City and Borussia Mönchengladbach's group. That is a very hard group. To come third in that group is credit to any European side. They came third. They put in some good performances. To get back to Europa League and then to win it again, unbelievable. And I think that's what they should just focus on on doing that, you know, winning that, you know, pushing further up the Liga. The, like you said about the, uh, the, the record away from home in La Liga, that's pretty poor. You know, they need to sort that out. But that comes with... They're a youth academy and so forth. You know, apparently they they've sold over the last what four or five years. They've uh, sold 100 million pounds, 100 million euros worth of of players from their academy. That's incredible. That's an incredible system. Sevilla just need to continue what they're doing and and then look at it at like maybe they won't win the Champions League in the next five years, but maybe in the next ten years they might do. And that's what they've got to do. It's long term, right? If they win the next. Three or four Europa Leagues and keep improving. Players are going to do <laughs> that's seven in a row, by the wow. way. Seven in a row, it's going to be big. Get your cash on that, lads. Uh, so there you have it. Then it finished three-one uh, to Sevilla in the Europa League final. Disappointing for Liverpool, um, especially considering the position they were in. But it's not all doom and gloom uh, for the Reds. We have to say, uh, considering Jurgen Klopp is the man on the helm there. Uh, moving on to some other news then. The England squad, the provisional Euro 2016 England squad, was of course announced. On Monday, Lawrence, uh, a 26-man squad. There's a few surprises in there, and there's still three names to be cut out before the final squad is named. Uh, A few of the surprises, Jack Wilshere, of course. That was widely expected, but still a little bit surprising to see it in there. Marcus Rashford getting a call-up, and Fabian Delph was a name that took a lot of people by surprise. I know, right? Um, 
obviously this is going to be trimmed down so i feel like there's a couple of names in there that most people would instantly put on the list it's basically about giving themselves options to look at and also looking at the comparisons to other squads um I feel like it does give Roy tactically something uh, good that he can do at the Euros, but I think a lot of people are also expecting uh, to see a lot more from this squad than maybe Roy has gotten out of them in the past. Uh, you know, obviously this cuts down, and I think it will be cut down uh, to 23 that it yeah. seem a lot more reasonable than the 26. Um, and for that reason, I'm going to have to say that I trust that Roy will get rid of the right guys. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, though, Lawrence, um, who are the right guys for you? Well, I mean, um, we're going to find out in training, aren't we, Adam? Uh, I, Rashford's going for the training experience. Um, mm. Although, you know, if why not give him a chance if, if he performs as well as someone else? You know, he's going to be keeping other people on their toes. I think the point would be that he's not going to offer the option that maybe you want from the bench um, because you would hope that England weren't in that position. Um I think basically you have to look at this as a progression, but ultimately for Roy, it seems like almost the end of his time. And so because it feels like the end of a timeline, you feel like England should be doing more, but they're not. Mm. I think that's the disappointing side. Uh, Dave, what did you make of his decision? In the initial squad, there's only three centre-backs. Now, maybe he was watching the front three preview on YouTube uh, of the England squad, go and check it out. But we made the point that, you know, Eric Dyer, in as a midfielder, very versatile, can also play a centre-back. Do you think that's maybe behind his thinking, not bringing along, say, Phil Jones or Jaggy Elke? Yeah, I think I mean, definitely his thinking. I think we'd, we'd mentioned that in the, in the preview, but again, it goes back to the lack of quality uh, centre-back for England. But again, what I what a question with that is that you get your uh, Derek Dyer goes in there as the fourth centre-back. That's absolutely fine. I'd do that. I wouldn't play too many defenders there. You want to go you know, further up the pitch, more flexibility. But then you question, who is the holder then? You know, we potentially we said Michael Someone's Carrick can play in, in that role. Maybe Henderson again, but we've seen Henderson do that do it well from times. But at the top level, it John Henderson is a, is a shuttler for me. Is, is Delph supposed to be wide, box to box? You know what I mean? Like, but by someone like Michael Carrick, who again has been in very very good form. I criticise him. Talk about this year, Michael Carrick, man, get him in the get him in the squad. No, I'm not having that. I'm not having Michael Carrick in the English squad. Why, bro? Who's your holder then, Adam? Fabian Delph, mate. He's in there for a reason. Fabian, he's played loads Fabian of games Delph. this season. He's played plenty of games this season. He deserves his name. He deserves his name. No, I, see, I understand what you're saying. Um, but tactically, who can... Who you can't have a snake in the squad, Adam. Very true. Very true. Um, I I just do not want to see Michael Carrick anywhere near this squad. I think he's had his time. I would rather see I'd rather see Jack Wilshere in there to be honest. Did he? He's got he's got like twenty three England caps. <laughs> as in, his time's not going to come. Chance to get more caps, not as in he has uh, he he's sort of <laughs> lived up to his potential. <laughs> I do not want to see Michael Carrick there. I don't think we we've seen before that he can't cope. I don't think. I don't think he's he's got the pace. I don't think he's got the Gareth Barry can't cope. Michael Carrick has never been, never had to cope. Get Barry up, mate. No, I just I, I don't want to see Carrick anywhere in that squad. I think, as it is, I wouldn't take Rashford. As soon as we got a cut of three names, I wouldn't take Rashford. Um, I probably would count Delph, to be honest, because I don't think he's necessarily deserving of a place in that squad. And Jordan Henderson's fitness is obviously a question mark, but obviously if he's fit, I'd keep him in. Maybe Andros I'd cut out as well, but at the same time, he does offer that pace that does seem to be lacking elsewhere in the squad. I kind of think that, like, yeah, I kind of think that uh, Keith Townsend in just because he's hit a little bit of form and he, like you're saying, he offers that, he offers something else. So I think I'd cut 
Delph. Yeah. I think I cut Rashford. Yeah. And then I think I cut another one of those central midfielders. I keep Danny Drinkwater in 100%. Maybe Wilshire. Maybe look, Wilshire or Yeah, Marana. maybe Wilshire or Henderson, to be honest. Whoever's going to be fitter. Whoever looks fitter in, the, in that training session. You know, both are coming back from injuries. Well, Jack Wilshire's a little bit, you know, earlier than Henderson. But there's one that's there that you've already got quite a, a, a peripheral of talent. And I think Danny Drinkwater has to start for me. What about Because he's been so good this year. Do you think Lana maybe is in danger? Because I feel like everyone else can play a, a specific role. Or they're very versatile, so they can sort of play mm. in roles. Adam Lallana... See, I'd, I'd take, I'd, I think Lallana makes it in because of yeah. university. I kind of agree. But where would he mm. play in, say, Roy Sapp? I think he'd play uh, advanced, um, and I think he'd sort of play. I think he, uh, Roy will have been impressed with what he's seen from Lalana uh, under Jurgen Klopp. Weirdly, because actually at times it's it's not been good enough. In, in fact, at most times I think it's not been good enough. His work rate has been good. The overall product of that hasn't been good enough. But I think Roy will have been impressed by that work rate and the fact that he can apply himself to a task that he's given. And, and more than anything, I think that's probably what Roy wants: is someone who can apply themselves to the task and say, right, this is how I'm doing it and mm. d- do it correctly. Because it, it very often that is what you find with England players is sometimes their heads drift. At least with, uh, at least with him, he, he stays focused on the task. We're, remains to be seen then. We'll, we'll see who gets cut out. Uh, as I said, three names need to be cut out before the final squad is announced. 23-man squad for the Euros, of course. Uh, a few other squads being named around Europe. Spain, a notable one, Dave. Leaving out Diego Costa, Fernando Torres and Juan Mata. Um, personally, I find it hard to disagree with leaving out any of those three. Maybe Torres has got a shout, but this caused a bit of a storm, uh, particularly with Chelsea and United fans, of course. I think that one matter and Diego Costa don't deserve to be anywhere near that squad, but yeah. Fernando Torres does. Okay. Fernando Torres has hit some real form. Fernando Torres is a, is a type of striker that when he's in form... Can you stop calling you, him his full name? <laughs> when Fernando... And I'm joking. When Torres is, is, is flying, Torres is flying. He's, he's a very clean finisher. He knows how to... In, in those areas, he knows exactly what to do. And a lot, I kind of... I'm a, a bit annoyed. I love bringing Adariz in. I love bringing Morata in there. Two very, very good strikers. But having Fernando Torres in there as well, you know, it gives Spain the option. I reckon Spain are going to play like Barcelona. But what Spain should do is take the Atletico model. They've got Saul on one wing, Koke on the other wing, and they've got Busquets and Iniesta in central midfield. Play someone, you know, play Adariz, a very a target man next to either Torres or Morata. Then you've got your back four that you're laughing about. Ramos, PK. Um, Alaba and you know if you want to play on the right with Aspen Equator or whoever that is a very very good team but without that with, with tr- trying to be Spain of t- two three years ago that would be dis- absolutely disastrous there's so many teams out there that can pr- hit you on the break Belgium destroy you on the break Germany destroy you on the break mm-hmm. France destroy you on the break arguably England if England play that right they're going to kill people on the break and I feel this Spain team seems to be geared to what they did two years ago where they need to move on on and, and adapt to Spanish football. Like we were saying before, how Sevilla have done so well in the Europa League, like, like um, Villarreal have done so well domestically. Why? Because they're adapting to it. They don't have the resource that the big boys do, like Barca and Real have. So they have to be more competitive. And that mm. is the beauty of Spanish football. Yes, in the Premier League, we've got all this money. But because in La Liga, there's not enough money deep down, they have to get more competitive with the coaching, with the style of play, with hitting people on the break and they know how to do that and that's why Spain have got to go that way and if they don't they're going to get smashed they might even not get out of the group and that would be embarrassing for Spain and I think that's the, the World Cup as it were 
getting away, yeah, that, that Spain haven't moved on. For f- this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, this is longer. I was saying two years, so they haven't moved on for four, six years, which is incredible. Everyone pile on Spain now. Dave's tip them to do badly. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he was right about Slavon Bilic. Slavon Bilic is going to get sacked Um, next season. What about Germany? Uh, Lawrence obviously announcing their squad. Funny to look down the squad and see that they've literally only got one striker, which is Mario Gomez. Uh, A lot of midfielders, a stacked midfield in there. A lot of people pointing to that as the weakness. But, you know, you've got Thomas Muller who could potentially play out front, filling that role. Yeah, they'll play, they'll play false nine bid. Uh, they'll play a load of false nines in there. They've got enough of them. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they've got about 50 of them. Um, it, it just it screams depth, that midfield, doesn't it? And I also feel like a lot of those players within there are good enough to score goals. You know, they've got, they've got the potential to score uh, the right kind of goals as well. And I f- just feel like there's not really much worry. But, the, you know, the difference is that there will be a few teams that will sit back and sort of say, go ahead, break us down. The difference is with Germany, when you say break us down, a lot of the time they do. Although you, you would also have been frustrated by sides because they haven't had maybe that classic striker that they've needed sometimes. Italy have also named their squad. It's a 30-man squad, this one, uh, for Antonio Conte Dave. So a lot of names to get cut. Maybe that's why Fabio Brini has made the cut. Um, no Andrea yep. Perlo, though. Or Sebastian Giovinco from the MLS. Um, so a little bit surprising maybe Giovinco has been on, on fantastic form. Italy don't look to have the strength, perhaps, that you'd expect them to have or want them to have uh, to get further in this competition. So I think with Italy, one of the big things that we've got to look at is that they've, lo- they've lost the likes of Verratti and Marchisio. who have both been taken down to some pretty terrible injuries that have taken them out of the tournament. Italy are going to be so fresh, though. You know, you've got players like Ricardo. Uh, Samporna, I think that's the correct way to say it, from Empoli, who's been absolutely brilliant this season, been linked with so many clubs in world football. A player that could step in and be that type of man, the ball player, which again, it's so great. I think with Italy this this tournament, we're going to see a load of players explode. Players like Insignia, who has been second fiddle to Gonzalo Higuain at Napoli, but been excellent on the ball. Who's that in the background there, Dave? I'm, I'm staying late. I'm staying late at the scorecards oh, and I've been the there. I need to lock up. That was it. Dave, Dave how many times safe. have you slept at the scorecard? Zero times, Lawrence. I am a I wish I'd say too many times. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's move on to a little bit more news then away from uh, the Euro 2016 squad. Professional Aston man. Villa will be sold <laughs> to the Recon Group after Randy Lerner, the owner, agreed to sell the club to the company's CEO and chairman, Dr. Tony Giantong Gia. 
That's oh yeah, pronunciation. Easy for you to say. Thank you very much. Um, so the the numbers being thrown around, I believe, are eighty million. For Aston Villa. Uh, good news for Villa fans, Lawrence. It's a fraction of what Randy Lerner will have thought he was going to get for it, though. Originally, I mean, I remember what they thought they were going to get, and now, you know, that club could have been worth so much more, but he's basically mismanaged it into having to sell it almost. Uh, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that, isn't it, Dave? Uh, he sort of, he's almost cutting his losses here, Lerner. He ploughed a lot of money into the club in the early days, of course, when Martin O'Neill was there to, you know, uh, arguable success. Uh, it's been downhill ever since O'Neill left, really. And now, rock bottom, playing in the Championship, doesn't seem like they're going to return anytime soon. Maybe it is the time for, for Lerner to just sell up. I think he, well, he was a businessman and he wanted to make this Aston Villa team worth more than it was. And he did well under O'Neill because of Martin O'Neill, not because of Randy Lerner. And he's pissed his money up the wall for the last three, four, five seasons. Quite frankly, he deserves to, to, to make a loss from this because he's not run a football club the correct way. Aston Villa fans, you know, I, I like Aston Villa as an institution, a, a club with great history. Very passionate in the the you know in Birmingham in the middle of England England they've been massive you know it, it's unfair and I spoke to a Villa fan today uh, you know what have they done right in the last few years you know players like Jack Grealish that potentially has done too much of something that we don't want to mention on the podcast but why has nobody sat <laughs> him down too much fun why is why yeah. Jack Grealish had too much fun yeah. who's not sat him down and said look Jack you can either be a Lee Hendry who again was the most talented player of his generation. He's now making forget about tons this. of money out in another country, mate, so you're the fool. Yeah, Lee Hendry could have been the next Andre Pirlo for England, let's put it like that way. Very, very talented, but was too, um, you know, pushing on the party scene. And that's the issue with players like that. And then it emphasises what Randy Lynn is doing. He's trying to take this and make it better than it is. And at the end of the Day, he's forgotten his basic principles of Martin O'Neill. That was a team that worked very, very hard, fought for each other, had players like James Milner, Ashley Young, Gareth Barry, fighters, players like you know Emil Heskey in a way that that gave a shit. And that's the problem with Aston Villa. Nobody gives a shit. And now they're they're in a situation where potentially they could go back to back relegations if they don't get a new owner and sort themselves out. Hopefully, right? with this new owner, new owner, they'll avoid that because, as you say, um, a big historic club, uh, and hopefully we'll see them uh, at least attempt and challenge to, to make a return to the Premier League next season. Uh, moving on though, Lawrence, John Terry has signed a new one-year contract at Chelsea. Uh, cool. There's a bit of um and and all sorts Ooh. of dodgy uh, negotiating in the press and all this sort of stuff. Uh, he has got that one-year deal though, so he will be there for at least one more season. There was talk of sort of a new role for him if he did sign that contract. Nothing confirmed yet. But it looks, like, it looks like maybe he will be uh, a one-club man. Yeah, good for him. Eh? Uh, Everyone's happy Terry. to see John Terry remain Everyone in the family. Everyone loves John Terry, likeable chap. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, like likeable guy. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably a good thing for Chelsea that he remains a one club man because marketing wise, it's fantastic for them. Yeah. Good for John Terry as well. Uh, you know, as much as he's done bad by other it's, people, it's a difficult. Times. It is one of those situations. I mean, we've seen the same thing with with Totti at Roma, where. A player almost. No, it's very different with Totti, though, isn't it? Because Totti's always tried to represent the club well. Yes, okay, not in. I don't mean like for like everything is exactly the same, but I mean in terms of a player. I suppose everyone's, who, got, everyone's got, you know, everyone's got a, a skeleton in their closet. But you I, know mean I mean in terms of quite clearly a player, the club is trying to move on or would like to, to try and move on to bring in that next generation, the new phase. But it's difficult to move them on when the fans are so clearly attached and they're so beloved. 
by the fan base. Totti, of course, uh, was it second only to the Pope? Maybe above the Pope in terms of popularity. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do sort of have to. Um, I do sort of have to say though that, that there is a bit of a weird side. The weird bit sort of comes with um, everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is fan power, fan power. And you're like, yeah, no, not really. Um, it's really just money and negotiations between people who already have a lot of it. No, but I'm not saying it's fan power. I'm not saying it's the fans that got John Terry signed, but I'm saying it is an interesting situation in terms of the fans quite clearly want him to stay. The club mm. would be quite happy to move them on, but it's almost a political play. I'm, not, I'm sure John Terry is not going to play a big part in Chelsea's season next year. Neither will Francesco, Francesco Totti. But they're still agreeing that deal almost to maybe placate the fans, especially in Chelsea's case. It's been such a dismal season, the worst defence by a champion ever. This might be a, a kind of a token gesture maybe by the ownership to, okay, let's give this to the fans. We don't really want to give it. Quite clearly they don't when they're negotiating and agreeing a deal after the season's finished. It's not like they're desperate to keep on John Terry. And the same with no, Totti. I do think also, though, they, they, they probably see the merits in keeping John Terry. Mm, interesting. I'd be interested to know what uh, Antonio Conte's thoughts uh, yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He apparently he, yeah. sanctioned this. Well, I mean, I suppose you do want someone that sort of, you know, uh, keeps some of the club's heart or what people believe is the club's heart. What I often feel is that people are maybe a little bit... Mm, and so every John Terry and Stephen Gerrard both come from generations where clubs sort of had a mediocre level of success. They sort of had a mediocre squad and they were obviously good players. Right. But at the same time, you sort of think maybe it's an idea that you leave those players where they were and I understand, you know, the, the ideas of loyalty and people playing for their clubs. But those guys at times have let their clubs down a little bit. Um, not, uh, I don't mean in performances on the pitch. You can never really do that as long as you try very hard. I mean sort of off the pitch. And maybe they don't actually embody what the club values are. Maybe that does mm. muddy the woods a little bit. Um, you know, because trying hard is... But there's more to it for me. Mm. I feel like Chelsea have stuck by John Terry through thick and thin and some pretty bad situations, though. So... Do you think? Yeah. Um, another man who's beloved by the fans, of course, Rafa Benitez. Dave looks like he's close to agreeing to stay on at Newcastle, uh, beginning to work on his list of transfer targets. Uh, so the Daily Mail reports, at least, it's going to be good news for everyone on the tight side. I think so. You know, someone like Rafa. He's just... Sorry, Dave, a war zone, Dave is a fireman. In a war zone. Carry on, Dave. It's dangerous, lads. There's gunshots going off. Yeah, Fires being put out. East London. East London is rife at the moment. Rife <laughs> with danger. I don't know what the word rife means. <laughs> but I feel, I feel with Rafa Benitez, there's also danger. You know, going Ooh, down to a nice. very competitive nice league. You know, teams like um, you know, Brighton that have, have lost the playoffs yes. recently. A very, very good side. So... With Benitez dropping down, if he's got his transfer targets and he keeps a squad that he can keep, he'll do all right. But it, it, it's a danger for him. It, again, not his ego, but his, his reputation has taken a bit of a hit. Losing the Real Madrid job, being relegated with Newcastle. Although that he did turn Newcastle's fortunes around, it's going to be interesting to see whether he can keep players like Mitrovic. That'll be crucial. And Mitrovic will kill the championship. Very physical. Doesn't mind a scrap. Players like Wijnaldum might go, but you've got players like, uh, you know, Townsend. If you bring keep them in, uh, John Joe Shelby, that's a, that is a decent call. Mm. Keep, 
And Tim Krul in goal, you don't imagine he's going to leave after being out all season. Who's going to sign him? Probably nobody because he's, you know, had that injury record. So if Benitez can sign the right players and do the right thing, he'll kill the championship. But he's just got to be wary that there's a few sides. Derby, you know, they're a team that, in a way, shouldn't be in the promoted this year because they sacked their manager when he was in the top three, which was pretty stupid. But it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting how he adapts yeah. to this. Level of football in a way, and, and how he how he beats teams. That's gonna it's gonna be cracking because he's a clever guy. It kind and of, I feel that he will get that light edge. It kind of makes sense, Lawrence, doesn't it? Because I mean, at, at the end of the season, uh, the fans were obviously serenading him throughout the whole uh, win over Tottenham, uh, and he sort of said, you know, my heart is telling me to stay. Now, a lot of people would point to the fact that you know he was, he was managing Real Madrid at the start of the season. Now he's managing Newcastle. It's, it's a bit of a drop, but I feel like if you take ego out of the equation and you do look at it from a certain point of view. Rafa's a man who was never he's never really been loved by any club and taken to their hearts since he left <laughs> Liverpool so yeah. when you look at that from that point of view why wouldn't he stay in Newcastle a place where he's almost a god already uh, why wouldn't you stay well, and be beloved by the fans yes you're going down to the championship but if you take ego out of it and that sort of view it's it makes sense well exactly in the rest of the world there is a realistic view which is like David's just said, it's a very tough league to go down to. Mm. Um, I think it's all very, it's all well and good. So, you know, it's almost like young love in a way. You sort of go, oh, it's very sweet. Yeah, stay together, be loyal to each other. I mean, to some extent, that is the issue. It was kind of where I was taking that. Um, it, that's the issue is with Rafa a little bit is, um, you know, he does very much want to be loved because I think, you know, he feels misunderstood and he has been misunderstood in the English press at times. Um, at the same time, I do think that people patronise Newcastle a little bit and sort of think, well, is this the best you're going to get, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Um, and it, no, it, don't get me wrong. It is. It's a really great relationship. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, there's something that says danger to me about that match of Rafa Benitez and Newcastle. It's a lovely match. But at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of people sort of gunning for both sides mm. don't necessarily want it to go well. And to me, the, 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 the Real Madrid side is almost a misnomer because it doesn't really, uh, you know, he was obviously let down there. And in many ways, he probably would still be there if he hadn't have been so let down by some of the things that had happened there politically. Let's but finish. Danger, danger, danger. <laughs> Just like East London. Um, let's finish on a little bit of transfer news and a few questions before we wrap things up for this week's podcast. A little bit of interesting transfer news around Bournemouth, Dave. Um, Callum Wilson is being linked to the move away. West Ham and Tottenham both interested. Bournemouth have already rejected a deal of £25 million for both Callum Wilson and Matt Ritchie from West Ham. They've rejected Ooh. that one. Now, can you see why... Clubs of the calibre of West Ham, Tottenham, top six clubs, uh, aiming for Wilson. I think that he's a, he's a very interesting striker, a striker that scores goals, it's a physical threat, very, very quick in behind. Um, I think that there's definite interest that you know, you're a very young player that's, that's hit, the, hit the top level at a very good time in his career, you know, we're coming into not you know, pre his peak in a way. You know, a peak striker is going to be 27, 28. You know, he's before that, which is interesting. So, with Matt Ritchie, Matt Ritchie was a player that, you know, luckily enough, my mum and dad live in Bournemouth right now. Um, oh, and I went to go and see Bournemouth uh, in League One and in the Championship. Who was the player that stood out? It was Charles Daniels. Huh? It was Matt Ritchie. And Matt Ritchie was just one of, a player that you give him the ball and he makes something happen. And again, that's why it's so attractive because 
because he gives you something else. He's like an X factor playing wide. He'll do a very, very good job defensively because he's been coached by Eddie Howe for the last few years and he'll give you something else going forward. So 25, 30 million for both of them. That makes sense to me. That's a, that's a clever move. But if they don't get it, then fair enough. You know, I think West Ham were, they had a bid rejected for Lacazette, 31 million euros. Yes, Again, 31. a very, very, very clever move. Also, if they can pull one of those pull one of those moves off, whether it is forty million for two or maybe forty million for Lacazette, fair play to West Ham. They've also made a thirty one point five million pound bid for Michi Batshuayi as well. Uh, desperate mm-hmm. for a striker, West Ham. Desperate to make the move early, which is um, potentially. Uh, I think it's about the desperate. That, but the, yeah, you can smell desperation sometimes before the Euros are coming up. It's sometimes smart to try and force some business before the uh, the price tag inflates somewhat. But you, but, well, but you also sort of think, well, you know, uh, I, I'm always sceptical of their ownership. And there are times where I think, um, are you guys doing this to make it look like that's, you know, to kind of start the rumours that that's the level of club that you are? Because I suppose it is partly about punching above your weight until you get there. Um, and, you know, I think those guys are looking... I, I do think they're looking to convince people that they can compete at that level. But mm. until someone actually sort of takes them up on that, Kinda gotta say they're not competing at that level. We'll see. I think well, you know West Ham are ready to move to that next level now. They 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 got bargain obviously last time in Dimitri Payet, and I, I'd expect them to make these sort of moves now. Uh, the new stadium's coming. Uh, cash is a flowing, as they say. Uh, really, so things, things are looking up. Uh, speaking of Dimitri Payet, Dave. Now here's a spurious transfer rumor to get your teeth into. Apparently. Manchester United want to buy James Rodriguez. And as such, Real Madrid want Dimitri Payet to replace James. Now, how much would you put on this one, I think? Well, I think I'd put five Dimitris out of five for this what? one. What? As in, five means <laughs> no, it's happening, mate. It means it's happening. No, All right, yeah, it's on. It's on. But no, it's, you know, a player like James Rodriguez is very unhappy at his role at Real Madrid. That one I can doesn't see. Look, doesn't look like he, he fits in at all. Man United probably need an attacker midfielder under Mourinho. You think he's going to play a 4-2-3-1. He's a central player that scores goals, that can press well. James Rodriguez would be a very good target. Griezmann would be a very good target. But Dimitri Payet to Real Madrid... That's the crazy part of it, I think. That yeah. is the nutty part. But again, you look at his record in, in the last few seasons, the most creative player in, in European football. Uh, it wouldn't be mad, but then again, why would Pyatt want to... From playing, again, that's why West Ham is so attractive, because you're going to play week in, week out, and you're going to be in a European competition, and you're going to be playing for... You know, being in front of, what, 60,000 people, 50,000 people. It, it kind of makes sense that Pyatt would want to stay and not go to Real Madrid. And with players like Lucas Vasquez at Real Madrid that needs to kick on his career, it just the move doesn't make any sense to me. But Amos Rodriguez to United? Maybe. Mm, don't buy myself. Uh, finally, let's end on uh, the news that Leicester have been dismantled already, Lawrence. Nope. N'Golo Kante wants to join Arsenal. He's leaving. He's off. He's told the Daily Express. And they're reporting it. He went literally to their offices. I'm joining Arsenal, lads, he said. And that's if definitely If you're going to go anywhere. Why would you go to Arsenal, though? I mean, is it, is it money? 
Is it because you feel they can maybe compete on a higher level? People are already writing off Leicester for next season. Though. They're not going to win the league. They're not going to finish in the top four. I think a little bit of that has seeped into to Kante. Maybe a couple of other Leicester players' uh, thoughts that this is as good as it gets. Let's leave on a high. Yeah, maybe. Um, and at the same time, it's probably that those guys feel maybe that it's the only time they're going to be able to push for a deal. Mm. But again, maybe they... That's part of it is I suppose if they also seen the summer plans or all those kind of things or sort of what can we do after this, I'd imagine there's an element of, uh, yeah, maybe it is time not jump not to jump ship, but to make the move that's right for the individual player. And at that point, you sort of think, see you then. And it sells papers. Uh, let's... You, don't, well, you, don't, you, don't want to, you don't want a player that doesn't want to be there, let's put it that way. That's true. That's a very good point. Um, hopefully they won't lose too many of these players though. hopefully maybe Mares or Kante one or the other and they can sort of keep the rest together well and, and, and um, the team the team that uh, did particularly well tonight and another team that's done particularly well in the Premier League and a number of sides this season have managed to do high turnover of players and still do well so mm-hmm. you know let's see because essentially um, you know what Ranieri did was work with a group of players he hadn't really come into contact with before but had been jobbed by a previous manager Added a few elements to that. Let's see if you can do the same again. Let's finish on a handful of questions before we wrap things up. Roman Oseguera tweeting in, who would you prefer to have in your teams as a promising young player? Ianacho or Rashford? The eternal question. Uh, Lawrence, we'll come to you first. Uh, I like Inacho. I like watching him. I find him very exciting. But I was really buzzed by Rashford. I'd have to go for an Asho, though, just because I feel like he'd lead the line and he's the kind of player I want in my team. Dave, I guess you're going for Rashford. Bloody typical. The bloody Liverpool FC firm pushing Lawrence into a corner and making him make a decision. <laughs> for me, the talent is... There's two, one player that's got skills, one player that can create something out of nothing, one player that can score goals, another player that's in a Manchester City side that is average. Our best in terms of what he's doing there. Rashford has scored goals in big games. The Champions League, sorry, the Champions League, the FA Cup uh, quarter-final. Scored against Manchester City. Scored twice against Arsenal. Has talent. Has real, real talent. He scored five goals in the Premier League from just eight shots on target. The guy is a genius, and that is it. Inacho is a player that will fit into uh, potentially a few Manchester City systems. Rashford is a player that potentially could explode. Okay. Interesting stuff. Um, we've got another question here. Da, 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 from the main man, Morgan Ryan23. What players do you want to see out of your clubs? And he suggested Fellaini, Moreno, and Mason. Um, oh, that, is a, that is a great list. It's pretty good. I mean, I feel I mean, like it's, he's a, it's a pretty bang on question. Nailed it. Yeah, he's nailed it. Yeah, um, I like Mason. He's a decent player, but he, he I felt towards the end of the season when he sort of stepped in for Dembele that he couldn't quite cut it. That's not necessarily his fault, um, but compared to Dembele, he uh, he looked lackluster. I don't necessarily want him out of the club, but you know there, there may be uh, upgrades out there. He's he kind of like Jess Lingard that he's he's very good at what he does, but he's just a bit weak. Yeah, bit like, nothing. he hasn't filled out. Yeah. He's not become a big lad. He's just going to consistently be a very skinny, small lad. It's not like Ryan Mason is particularly like young either. He's twenty-four, which I mean is young, but in terms of a footballer, it's not. You know, he's not just bursting onto the scene or anything. I don't know how old Jesse Lingard is. To be honest. Well, Jesse Lingard, it's similar. Twenty twenty-four. Right, right. In a way, you've got to be hench before then. 
I'm not, got to be hench. Got to be bigger. If that's your job, if, if your job is to is, is to kick goals and do goal passes, you kind of got to be bigger than that, right? Hench goals. Um, let's finish off then. Seeing as we started with the Liverpool uh, losing in the Europa League final to Sevilla, Charlie Walsh writes in: Which English team will be the next to win a European trophy, and which one will they win? Which English team is going to be the first to win the next European trophy? Uh, the obvious answer is, of course, Manchester City, with Pep being there next season. A lot of people's tip to win the Champions League. But, of course, a bit of a semi-final specialist at Bayern Munich, uh, so that may hold him back. What do you reckon, Dave? Who's going to be the next English club to win a European trophy? Leicester City, pains Champions me. League. It, it, it pains me to say it, but I think Liverpool... Really? I really, I really do. I think Liverpool, pretend, you know, maybe they're obviously not going to be in Europe next season. But the season after, whatever Klopp does, I think that it's, it's time. Especially with Jurgen Klopp, it's a strange one. He's lost five finals as a manager, and that's quite a big thing. His win rate there is, isn't great, but you'd imagine him to evolve. He's a type of manager that takes things like that on the chain and thinks, how can I do better? And that's why I kind of think Liverpool might be the next one to win a European, because, again, Barca are going to be strong. Bayern Munich are just unbelievable. Sevilla are going to, like I said about Sevilla dominating they're going to win seven Europa Leagues aren't they and four are going to come in the next five years so it's kind of hats out of that pipe right uh, Lawrence who's going to be the next English team to win the European trophy good question I'm going to go Manchester United in the Europa League oh, oh no shit I think it's oh, going to be no. Uh, good question. I'm gonna go Man City with Pep Guardiola. Yeah, it's the obvious mm. answer, but it's a good answer. Um, guys, that brings you, you asked my opinion, and then when I give yeah, you something, good, no, which no I, I said the same thing, so I'm not giving you any shit there. Um, Adam, stop booing Lawrence, he's part of the guys, as well. Guys, that brings an end to the front three podcast Nancy. this Wednesday. Thank you very much for yeah, listening. Adam. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to rate and review it on your podcast app. It helps other people find the podcast. And of course, we enjoy reading your kind words, uh, which gets them up for comment of the week. Uh, comment of the week, there <laughs> has to be. ego boost really helps yeah. us make a podcast. I do have to give comment of the week, technically not a comment, but I do have to give it to... Um, to Varun Kushal, who set up our Reddit. Uh, get what? over and check out uh, our subreddit. Technically, he's like a, that's like the ultimate comment because it's the ultimate comment which sets up lots more comments. Yes, big effort. He's like uh, the comment playmaker, Varun. isn't he? I think it could be a like great Eva place. Like against Liverpool. Exactly. It could be a great place to kind of, you know, all chat together, get, get your questions in. We can get discussion points down there. I think it'd be a great place to sort of build a, a front-free community and be the whole, as it were. So um, get over there and check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Until next time, though, Lawrence, uh, where can the good people find you? Go find me on the uh, Football Republic Snapchat, Adam. Ooh, very uh, good it's looking plug. pretty good right now. Very good plug. I'm going to check that out after we finish recording here. Dave, where can the good people find you? So go on to a site called Reddit. So R-E-D-D-I-T. And then search the classic, the front three. And you'll find this brilliant community that we're going to create. We're going to make something special on Reddit. Reddit is a beautiful place. This is just the I beginning, guys. Getting so, on the ground so good. And this is just the beginning. Exactly. You're the first adopters. That's big. Adopters. Guys, uh, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, you can find me on Reddit at the front three as well. Uh, until Sunday, uh, we'll see you then. I think Sunday we'll be doing a little post FA Cup final. 
reaction, Dave. Maybe we'll do a little uh, Premier League review, the, the the player of the season, the moment of the season we were talking about last week as well. I think we'll have time for that uh, next week. And we'll also be answering your questions, of course. So get them in on Twitter at the front free until. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sunday day, guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you then. Bye.